0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 34 to 56. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went, to, and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As we get into Advent, I really want to emphasize that we want to think and understand Christmas from the perspective of the gospel, Christmas from the Bible. Uh, There's a lot of Christmas from traditions. There's a lot of Christmas from religion. And there's a lot of Christmas from culture. And a lot of it is good. And, um, you know, I'm not, uh, I've I've kind of, in, in my life, I've kind of gone through the whole gamut. There was a period where those Christmas songs that didn't say anything about Jesus, they were like, you know, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. You know, like those songs had nothing to do with Jesus. And I went through a whole period. I was like, it's not a real Christmas song. It's just Christmas from culture. It's not really about Jesus. And I kind of like dumped on those songs. I was against those songs. And then I went, th- and then I started to realize it doesn't matter if it doesn't say Jesus. Because even the people who don't know Jesus Know those songs are still about Jesus. And I started to realize it doesn't matter. It's a great blessing that all these secular folks who don't know Jesus always do a Christmas album <laughs> to make money. <laughs> and they often sing some of the best versions of songs that praise Jesus. But in this season, let's focus. We're the church we God's family. Let's focus on Christmas from the Bible. And I, don't, and I said this last week that I'm going to focus on justice. Um, last year, I gave some pretty hard messages about justice. And justice is a subject that our culture is powerfully wrestling with and often very angrily wrestling with. And it's dividing and honestly tearing apart our culture. But um, Christmas actually has a lot to do with justice. And um, so let's talk about Christmas from the Bible. And let's talk about justice from the Bible through Christmas. And let's get into it now, okay? All right, part one. Part one. Exalting those of no account. Exalting. Exalt means to lift up. Lifting up. Exalting those of no account. Part two, Christmas humbling the upper classes. There's talk in this passage about the rich, about the mighty. And in our time, I'm just going to call them the upper classes. Every, every generation, every time, every culture, every place has those who are rich, who actually have power in the society. And I'm going to call them the upper classes. And every year, Christmas calls for their humbling. Okay? Okay? And part three, the incarnation and true justice. The incarnation is a fancy word that means into the flesh. The son of God, the divine omnipotent one, he came into the flesh to become human. So Christmas is really about the incarnation. The incarnation and true justice is part three, okay? So here's the way I'd like to start, all right? Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever heard of Benton, California? Who here has heard of Benton, California? Anybody heard of Benton? Who's been to Benton? (laughs) Who's ever been to Benton? Now, I know there's like, besides me, two other people in our church who have been to Benton. Joy and Damon, okay? Now, most of you don't know where Benton is, never been there. And so let me just give you a little description. In the middle of California, you know, the, the big important cities are like L.A. and like where we live, Bay Area. And if you're going to go from Bay Area to L.A., you have to go to the middle. Of the, right down, there's a highway that goes right down the middle. And you're going to go through the San Joaquin Valley. And you guys all know that's Interstate 5, okay? And, but on the other side of the mountains, there's another valley. It's called the Owens Valley, and there's also a highway that just runs north and south. Straight. So if you're going to go from like Reno down toward like L.A., that's the way you you'll take that highway straight down. And right in the middle is a town that a number of you, if you know our, of, of our church, the core set of people that were, the, uh, were the star, those who started Revived Church came out of a previous church. And for many, many years, we served a Native American reservation just outside of a town right in the middle called Bishop, okay? And Bishop, right outside of Bishop, is a a Native American reservation. It's called Bishop Paiute Reservation. It's the largest Native American reservation for like about a 200-mile radius, okay? But Benton is about 45 minutes north of Bishop. And even within the Native American world, Benton is like nothing, okay? So let's... Here's what it's like. I've driven from Bishop to Benton to go pick up some kids for ministry. So you drive 45 minutes north. It's pretty much a whole lot of nothing. And you will come to this stop sign. And once you come to this stop sign, that's Benton. Okay? And so that's it. It's literally a one stop sign town. You'll stop there. And then once you go through that stop sign, you're leaving Benton. That's it. Okay? And the town of Benton, according to the 2010 census, has 280 people, okay? 280 people. Um, my daughter's, I think, like, I think she, her junior class at Limbrook High School has more than 280 people, okay? So the whole town has less than one high school class. And, you know, my daughter, she goes to a medium-sized high school, Okay? Now, the reason I bring this up is outside of Benton is a Native American reservation. And that Native American reservation is called, the. I, I'm, I'm, you know, if you're Native American, if you're Paiute, sorry, I'm going to butcher the name. It's called Utu-Utu-Guaitu Tribe, okay? You okay, ever heard of it? You ever heard of the Utu-Utu-Guaitu Tribe? I have. It's only, there's only three people in this church who've heard of it. And we're probably the only three people in Silicon Valley who've heard of it. That Native American tribe has maybe 100 people, maybe, probably less. And if you go there, the town you could easily miss. And you have to drive a little bit off that pathway, and then you're going to drive onto roads that even stop becoming paved. It's kind of like dirt roads. And then you'll see a bunch of houses, and that's it. That's the tribe. Now what the heck are you talking about pastor? Why are you talking about this? I've been thinking about I've been thinking about Christmas from the Bible. And we read this passage to you of these two women. One is world famous now. Her name is Mary. It's exactly like the passage says that my, that I will be blessed, you know, basically from here on out. She's absolutely right. She's world famous, Mary. And um, it's her other relative, and I'm not exactly sure, maybe a second cousin or something like that, and her name is Elizabeth, and I talked to you about her last week, and she's also famous, and in fact, you know, there's a lot of Elizabeths, and my daughter's one of them, and that's a really popular name because of this woman. Now, if you grew up inside the church, you may know this story, and in fact, even if you did not grow up in the church, I didn't read the portion, we didn't have the portion that's like before this passage. And you, did you notice it says. Well how this happened because I'm a virgin. That's, that's the latter portion. Of the more famous story. Where Mary is being visited. By the angel. And telling her. You're going to be the mother of the son of God. That's where she's getting that message. And I read to you the portion. You know I had the portion read. Afterwards. Where she goes and says. She says this really important thing. She says. And she hears this thing, and then she says, "Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. let it be to me according to your word." And then she goes to visit her relative, and so just a few more here elastic, her relative is old, and it says so in the passage. And she was called Baron. And that means she, she was old, didn't have children, and now she's pregnant. And so Mary's going to go visit her relative. And then when she goes visits her relative, you know, this old lady who is pregnant, the, the, the baby leaps in the womb and has this reaction. And um, she says this incredible thing to her. It says, she says, um, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her room and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she said, blessed are you among women. Let's just stop for a moment. Among all the women, you're blessed. <laughs> think of all the women that you know that you think are blessed. They're the, most, they're the tallest. They're the most beautiful. They married somebody who's rich or famous or they're rich and famous. You know, we have, we have women in our culture that we celebrate and they often, or, you know, their, their faces are on TV are on products and the reason we put their faces on TV and product is because all the other women want to be them. <laughs> if you put their face, you know, and associate them on TV with a product, every other woman goes, I want to be like her, so I'm going to go buy that product. They're blessed. But here is this woman. She's an old woman. And I already told you last week, in, our, in, in their culture at the time, she's nobody. She's nothing. Okay? So just to back up just a little bit, um, you know, the Romans, I told you last week, despised the Jews, the Jews and the Hebrews. So who are the people that matter in this time? They're Romans or they're Roman citizens. So you, weren't, you didn't necessarily have to be what well, we would say Italian. You could be a Roman citizen. They were, they were a multi-ethnic empire. And you could be a different skin color. You could be African and probably have dark skin. And you could be a Roman you could be a Roman um, citizen. Paul was Jewish, but he was a Roman citizen. So that's a, a, that's a pretty advanced way of thinking. It's one of the reasons why they were able to become an advanced, mighty empire. But inside of their empire, they have all these different ethnicities. Let me tell you, they had a special hatred for Hebrews. <laughs> and um, I told you last week why. They hated the, the Jews' theology. Because the Romans consider themselves the most tolerant, the most embracing. They embraced everybody's gods. When they had temples, they put everybody's gods up there and says, you know what, as long as you worship one of them and then we celebrate Rome, you're one of us. We like you. But there's this one very, very, this seemingly backward conquered people, the Jews, and they say, no, thanks. We're not going to do that. In fact, it's absolutely offensive to our God. And your gods are fake. There's only one real God. He's our God. And the Romans would say, why would your God, you backward loser people that we destroyed, be the one true God? That is the stupidest thing we ever heard. It's a stupid religion. You're a stupid people. That's, so they hated, their, they hated their theology. Okay, That's number one. And it's not unlike today. A lot of people who are the educated and the smart people, particularly dislike Christians. Why? Because Christians we believe in Christmas, <laughs> salvation's only from this God. So that's a really offensive teaching today. Well, it's, it's that kind of thing has been offensive for a long time. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason. And I told you last week, the Hebrews were particularly surprised because they didn't like, the Romans didn't like their sexual ethic. So the Hebrews believed you can't have sex outside of marriage. And homosexuality is sin. And you can't go to a temple and sleep around with those other people, which that's exactly what Romans did. Romans had temples to all the different gods, and they had all kinds of just like rampant, very decadent sexual practices. And homosexuality is very, very common. In fact, it was very, very common in the Greco-Roman Empire, a man who was rich, he really sexually liked boys more than he liked his own female wife so he'd marry a female wife why because if you're a good roman you have to produce children for the empire and since children come from a woman you have to marry a woman what is her purpose her purpose is to pop out babies but he doesn't actually really like he is in love with her he really wants to be he's in love with his 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 teenage boy slave that's how it was Okay, these and we're talking about the educated, the powerful, the rich people of the Greco-Roman Empire. This was a totally normal thing in their time, and so you got the Jews. They have this this this, this much more restrictive sexual ethic. They hated it, absolutely hated it, right? And inside of their people, you have Elizabeth. They believe that they believe that if you're a woman. You know, like one of the most important things you should do is have has have children. So it wasn't just Romans who thought that women's you know most valuable thing is to be a mother. But here is a woman who couldn't be a mother. So amongst the Romans, she is like nothing, because she's of a nothing people. But inside of her own people, she is of no account. I I talked to you that all that week. Why am I talking about Benton? I'm trying to help you to feel what, if Christmas, if the very first Christmas happened in 21st century America, where would the Savior be born? Whom would God choose to say, here's the woman that will be blessed for all eternity, far more than any supermodel or anybody on TV whose name would be revered and famous forever? Well, I don't think he'd pick somebody super glamorous and gorgeous and beautiful. He'd pick someone from Benton. That's what I think. Because that's who Mary is. Mary is dirt poor. So from the Roman perspective, from the educated upper class, very respectable perspective, Mary is of a, is a, is of a, of a people that they despise. And... Inside of the, even inside of of the Israelite people, she's at the bottom of that society. She's really, really poor. So how do you know that? Because when she, she's she's pregnant, and then she goes, you guys all know the story. She goes to Bethlehem, and then when she gives birth, she's so poor, she can't even find a decent motel room. She She can't get a hotel room. She can't get a motel room. She can't be in like, the lowest bottom-rung motel, she gives birth in an animal stable. (laughs) That means she's dirt poor. And even among the Native Americans who are already like the most, they're among the most, they're conquered people and they're forgotten people in America. Thankfully, we don't despise them in America, but they're generally forgotten. And even inside of their people, Benton is like, it's a pretty much, it's, it's really low on the totem pole. So if you could like rank the quote unquote important Native American tribes, Benton would be like at the bottom. And if you go to Benton, it's obvious. And when I first went to Benton, I was like, this is Benton? This is the reservation? First I said, this is the town? It's like, wow, I almost missed it. And then when I went to the reservation, I said, this is the reservation? Because I'm used to going to Bishop Pai Reservation that has 2,000 members. It's the largest reservation within a 200-mile radius. It's the most important from a worldly point of view. And Benton is the opposite. Now, here's Christmas. When God says, let's write in the word of God what Christmas is about, let's celebrate two women that come from Benton. That's what I want you to feel. Mary is from a despised people. Mary is dirt poor. But let me tell you one other thing. Inside of her own people, she's disliked. So everybody thinks, everybody loves Mary, not when she was pregnant with Jesus, because she was engaged, not married, okay? She was engaged to Joseph, not married. And then she's started getting big. And everybody knows, well, wait a second. Whose baby is that? And if she goes around saying, well, that um, came from the Holy Spirit, <laughs> that would be a real great thing. Wouldn't you like to go to your cousin's house? And they're like, "Uh, where'd that baby come from? You kind of have a man on the side, don't you? And she's like, no. The baby came from the Holy Spirit. So some of you think, it's just such a nice story. That's why Mary went to Elizabeth's house. No, let me tell you why Mary went to Elizabeth's house. Because Elizabeth is the only one that would know and believe that she is not a cheater. Only Elizabeth, who has been touched by God, who is a nobody, miraculously been blessed by the Lord, could believe that she has been miraculously blessed by the Lord. The Lord sent her to Elizabeth because with Elizabeth she would be safe inside of her own culture. See, that's the story. You want to know? What, you want to understand Christmas from the Bible? It's this is the story. <laughs> Let's go to part two. I want to talk about class. Okay? And if you talk about class, you can't quite help but talk a little bit about politics. Because politics is always, always, it's always wrapped up with class. Now, I'm just going to just say, a couple, let me say a couple things first. Um, there is this word in American culture called social justice. Okay? And social justice, the definition of it keeps changing. So I want you to understand if you say this word social justice and you're like, I believe in social justice, and you go around and you say, you don't believe in social justice, you're bad. Okay? You, you're really, you're really, that, that's a really poor thing to do. Because there's at least five or six definitions of social justice out there, and they clash and are incompatible with each other. So when I was young, social justice generally meant this. It kind of had was roughly two definitions. One was this, that everybody should care about the poor and the weak. That if you are middle class or upper class and you did not understand that America, inside of American society, that we as a democracy should care about the poor and the weak, that you're a bad person, that's social justice. Now if you believe in that version of social justice, that agrees with the Bible. In fact, Americans got that understanding of social justice from the Bible. It got it from passages like about people like Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth and Mary are the quintessential kind of people that if you believe in quote-unquote social justice, you're supposed to see them. You're supposed to value them. You're supposed to have mercy and care for them. Because in every society, across like the board, people that are that low and that poor and not even valued by their own people, they are despised and crushed. So the Romans despise Elizabeth and Mary, but even the Jews despise Mary. Can you just think about that? So Mary, who is utterly beloved today, and her name is like just loved. In every church around the world, when she was pregnant, she was despised by her own people. So if that's your definition of social justice, that's a good one. It's from the Bible. But there's also another definition of social justice, which was also common when I was young, which is that if you believe in social justice, that, that the government can make everything all equal. The government, if we just have the right policies... And the right people and the right thinking, they could make the rich and the poor equal and everything could be all better, okay? You know, it's not an unreasonable way of thinking (laughs) because the government is powerful. And the government has the power to critique the rich and to do something for the poor. But this idea that the government could like solve all justice issues, that's crazy talk. That's complete crazy talk. From the Bible's point of view, didn't did, did Jesus come here and say, well, I'm going to go talk. I'm going to be born among the powerful. Jesus was like, if he was thinking like a 21st century person, if he, if he was like a 21st century American um, person, God would go like, well, I'm going to be born a, in, a, in, a, in a family that's maybe middle class or upper middle class. And then, and then they'll be send me to the best schools. And then I'll go to the best universities. And then I will be able to, like, as the savior of the world, I will then walk among the powerful and the influential and have the most, uh, and, have the, and have, the, uh, have the best vocabulary and the best discourse and the best educational time. And then I will have the power of the government. And then, the, and then I'll be able to heal all the injustice and disparity of the time. That's not the way Jesus did it, though. Isn't that what people think? That's not what we think. That's the way it's going to happen. If we just elect our best and brightest, and they care about justice and fairness, then we could kind of solve and heal our world. It doesn't work. And God, that's certainly not the way he decided to do it. Man, it's crazy the way God decided to do it. So here's what I want you to understand about Christmas. Christmas is very much about, do you see those people of no account? And Christmas very much cares about justice. So here's the passage. Verse 51. This is the way Mary put it. This is a famous thing that she proclaims, and there's a name for it. It's called Mary's Magnificat. And she says, he has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Some people would read that and go, that just sounds like social justice doctrine. But my goodness, it has nothing to do with politics. If anything, it is a profound critique of the political, of the political grasp. You know, there's a, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is the most banned book in history. And all throughout history and around all these cultures, people who are the, they're the the ones who run the politics. They're the ones who lead and shape the society. The people who have the money, the people who control the institutions. You know what? They regularly hate the Bible. And you know why they hate the Bible? Because of passages like this. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones he he has he has uh, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts <laughs> that's what the bible says that's what mary says this very 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 lowly woman that's what she says right. and one of the things i want to say to you today is there's is no way that we can have christmas unless we start where jesus started he says i will confer upon the deepest dignity the greatest honor, on the lowest of the low, okay? Now, I want to say a couple other things here. Mary, you know what I love about Mary? There's so many wonderful things to love about Mary. But here's one of the things I love about Mary. She is humble and courageous. She's humble and courageous, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, but those two things don't usually go together. Usually people are humble is usually because they are lowly in the world and so they have no, like, almost no choice but to be humble. So people who have like some power and some knowledge and some pull in the world, they tend to be confident, but not humble. They're confident, they're courageous because they're like, I have power, I can do what I want, but they're not humble. But the people who are humble usually are afraid because they're weak and they could be attacked and they're looked down upon in the world. And yet Mary, she is a person who could say this. Well, you're going to have a baby. It's not from Joseph. And she can just imagine this. Look, she's not stupid. She's like, if I have a baby and it's not from my fiance or even my husband and from my fiance, it's not even from my fiance, I know what I'm going to get called my own people are going to hate me i'm going to be seen as some kind of a tramp yet here's what she says i am the servant of the lord let it be let it be to me according to your word <laughs> whatever you just said let that happen <laughs> she's lowly she's at the bottom rung of society and yet she knows who she is before the lord and she's courageous. Oh. And then when she gets to Elizabeth, how she says this unbelievable word, which the Bible celebrates. And so out of the mouth of this, she's probably a teenager, maybe a 17 or an 18-year-old girl. Just think about that. My daughter's 16. Elizabeth might be, you know, about the same age as Mary. When she says this, and she's at the bottom rung of society, and says he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Okay. Now I want to say something a little bit more about humble and courageous. I want to ask you if we're going to be a society that moves toward justice, like the Bible's vision of justice, and inside the Bible's vision of justice, you have to see Elizabeth. You have to see Mary. You have to be able to go into a place like Benton and know these are God's people. God loves these people. If you are among the poorest, most rejected, the most disrespected of a society, and you cannot see that maybe one of the most famous, most beloved, one of the most important things that God will do could come from that child then you don't understand the gospel. You don't even understand Christmas because it's at the center of the story of Christmas. It's absolutely there inside of Christmas. You hear me? Church, you hear me? This is Christmas from the Bible. In order to have this, we need to have a society where the upper classes, because the upper classes shape the culture. There's no such thing as a culture where you don't have upper class, middle class, lower class, and the dirt poor. And in every society where you have upper class, middle class, lower class, and dirt poor, who shapes the culture? Who shapes the values? Who shapes and influences everybody and how we see the Marys and the Elizabeths in our midst? What's the upper classes do? Of course the upper classes do. And why am I saying this? Because our church, we're not a big church and we don't have power, but you know what? Let's get real here. We're a Presbyterian church, and Presbyterians like pastors who are well-educated, have good vocabulary and good theology, because you want a pastor, you have, you're well-educated, you have good vocabulary, or at least you aspire to have good vocabulary and theology, and guess what kind of a class a church like this tends to draw together? We tend to get the middle to upper middle class, and then the upper classes. Don't kid yourselves if this church grows and grows and grows, we're going to be an upper middle class to an upper class type church. And here's, I'm just, so this is an Advent sermon, but I'm laying down something for the future of our church right here, right now, okay? If we as an upper class type educated people, because those are the people who tend to make more money and then you're going to, some of you are going to rise into your company and you're going to have influence and power in your own circles. And here's one of the things I want to say. You must have the humility of Mary and her courage. And you must see her. You must see Elizabeth. You must love her. And if you don't, then we're not with Jesus. So brothers and sisters, you hearing what I'm saying? We must have humility and courage to live inside of his truth. God's truth, not right-wing truth. Not right-wing fake, fake journalism or left-wing fake journalism. They're truth. See, I square quoted, it. Because truths like this is basically half-truths, which are lies. <laughs> but what I'm preaching to you today, it's the real truth. It's capital T. It's real truth. It's real justice. Now, let's be practical. I want to give you one example, and then I'll get to the close of our message, okay? I want to give you an example of someone today who I think is upper class but humble and courageous and who, is, uh, who is operating in a way that I think is closer to real justice, all right? I'm going to give you an example of somebody and, um, and because it's helpful. If I, if I just say, be like this, and you're like, okay, I have an idea of how to be like this, it's good to just have an example and you get a picture. She's not a perfect example because there's no perfect example, but it's good, Okay. So her name is I don't know exactly how to pronounce her name. Abigail Schreier, or Schreier, Shrier or Shrier S H R I E R. Have you anybody heard of her? See? Anybody ever? See, none of you have heard of her. She's not famous. I wish she'd be more famous. Let me tell you a little bit about her, okay? She grew up in Maryland. She attended Columbia University, Ivy League school. She got a, a prestigious fellowship, then she went to Oxford for two years, and then she went to Yale Law School, so she's a big shot. So where is she in the, in the scale? Is she then the Mary scale? No, she's definitely up here. She's in the upper classes, right? Absolutely. So her story goes something like this. She goes to Yale Law School. She meets her boyfriend. She moves to LA to go be with her boyfriend. She, she gets a job at a top level. Prestigious law firm because if you go to Yale Law School, that's the kind of job you get. So then she gets this job, and um, she uses this is the word she used. She said it anesthetized me. (laughs) The work she did for her law firm would suck the life out of her. (laughs) So she quit. And then she married her boyfriend and had three kids, and was more of a stay-at-home mom. And she started writing. So, uh, here's what she she said. I began writing a few op-eds for our local Jewish paper. She's Jewish. Okay? So she's not a Christian. The vast majority of Jews are not Christians. There's some Jews who believe in Jesus. But the vast majority, they have this crazy idea that if you believe in Jesus, you can't be Jewish, which is completely crazy and insane. It's like a lie from hell. But a lot of Jews do believe that. Okay? So I doubt she's a Christian. I began writing a few op-eds for our local Jewish paper. This is in L.A. One of which was spotted by the Wall Street Journal editor. (laughs) Okay, it's like, okay. Who invited me to submit to the Wall Street Journal. I did, and in the course of that year, published 13 op-eds with the journal. So, for you guys, what is an op-ed? It's an opinion piece. Okay? So she writes, she's writing for the Wall Street Journal, one of the most important newspapers in America here's what she said. One of those op-eds inspired a reader to contact me and tell me the story of her teen daughter who was rushing into a sudden gender transition. After trying and failing to find an investigative journalist who wanted the assignment, I took it on myself. So someone wrote to her and said, my daughter suddenly wants to become a boy. Could you please look into this and write about this? Let me just stop for a moment. There's a lot of girls all around the country and you know what they're like? They're confused, they're looked down upon, they don't know who they are. They're basically today's Mary's and Elizabeth's. They're in middle class towns, they're in small towns. They might be in a place like Benton. And America has this ideology right now. Okay, you might not be a girl. You could be a boy. And maybe it would be better for you if you think you're a boy, you could become a girl. And I don't know if you know this. So we all know that there's this thing called transgender and kids want to, quote, unquote, transition, right? Did you know that the majority of the kids who want to transition are girls who want to become boys? Did you know that? I did not know that until I started reading into this. So if you go back 20 or 30 years ago, very, very few kids want a quote-unquote transition to the opposite sex. Back then, it tended to be boys wanting to be girls, which is interesting. Extremely few, but it tended to be boys wanting to be girls. More majority boys and girls. Today, the number has exploded, and it strongly leans girls wanting to be boys. Did you know that? So... Abigail Shrier wrote, a, she did the investigation. She wrote this book, and the book is out there. It's called Irreversible Damage. And what do you think? Do you think this is a popular book in our upper classes? They hate this book. <laughs> they absolutely hate this book. So Google, Facebook, you name it, they are all trying to make sure you don't know about this book and you don't know about her. And so she was invited to come give a talk in front of students at Princeton University. Again, one of the upper class institutions. And when she went to go give this talk, because she wrote this book, there was all these protests. (laughs) But, you know, her spirit... You read her, watch her on YouTube. She's really down to earth. And she's gentle and kind. It's it's, it's obvious. She's not angry. She's not got some agenda. You know what I think she cares about? She cares about nobody girls in nobody places. And so she wrote a book to help them and her parents and maybe all the other School boards and principals and all the other people who have a say. That's something like justice, if you ask me. And she's not even a Christian. So, brothers and sisters, wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever industry you're at, and as our culture starts to unfurl, you have to think about the Elizabeths and Marys. And we must be like Mary. And I admire and I'm so thankful for Abigail Schreer. And I hope and pray that our church will have many such people and all the churches around America, especially as we talk about Christmas, okay? Now let me close because so far I haven't given you the gospel. Well, I kind of hit, hit the gospel, but I need to give you the gospel because it's the gospel that will give us real justice. <laughs> It's the gospel. No matter how, if you and I, you, you, you do well to be someone like Abigail Schreier, that's great. But ultimately, the real justice can only come, and you know who it's coming from, Jesus. I'm going to read a Bible passage, and I'm going to say a little something about this passage, and let's close, okay? This is a Christmas text, a lot of people don't think of it as a Christmas text. It's an awesome Christmas text. Philippians chapter 2, verses, Philippians 2, verses 4 through 11. Just listen. Listen. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, don't just think about your own job, your own livelihood, your own name and reputation. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. This is yours if you are united to Jesus Christ. In Christ is united to Jesus Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, he was in the very essence of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the form of a slave, the form of the lowest servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What does this passage just say? It told us that there's one who is in the very form of God, who is in the essence of God, who is equal with God, but decided, I'm not going to be equal with the mightiest, highest of all. High I will choose to go be with the lowest of low. And you know, Christmas, we have this phrase, Emmanuel. Christmas is about God with us. God with us. You know, the people who think that we could fix society on high, they usually are like in Washington, D.C. or in New York, or they sit in some ivory tower and they write books, and they aren't anywhere near people like those who live in Benton. They don't know these young girls who want to transition to become boys. They don't know hurting young people, poor young people. They sit up on high and they'll say, we know how to fix all things. But that's not how our God did it. Our God says, I am with you. And when he says, I am with you, he said, I'm going to pick some parents. And they're going to be dirt poor. And then when I'm born, I'll the worst baby crib of all time (laughs) because I am with you, the lowest, the most hurting. And not only am I going to be with you, I will be one of you and I will suffer what you suffer and all your sins and all your righteousness. This carrier of justice The Son of God, who carried the most ultimate justice, he came this way. This is how he brought justice. He came through the incarnation. The incarnation is the way that human beings, though, even the poorest and the lowest, because that's what all human beings do. We walk into a room, we size everybody up and figure out who are the pretty, who are the smart, who are the cool, and then who are the weakest and the bottom. We're not going to go hang out with them. In fact, what we do is we despise them. In every elementary school, every junior high, in every high school, and probably inside your own company and in college, whoever is the weakest, the strangest, the most socially awkward, and the ugliest, Oh, we despise them. (laughs) All of that is normal. But our God said, I'll be one of you. In fact, I'll be one of them. And this is how he will heal the world. So let me just close by saying this. You and I are going to go before God one day. Every day is a kind of judgment day. You go in front of people. You know what they do? They size up. Are you smart? Do you have money? Do you have cool clothes? You know, are you one of us? Are you one of the better people? So you and I, you wake up in the morning, you go outside, you meet people, and it's judgment day. The judgment is their judgment on you and your judgment on them. And you know what matters? What matters is is things like money, and degrees, and nice clothes, and style, and upper-class kind of like a feel. Because if you have upper-class feel, you're one of the cool people. And if you don't have upper-class feel, you're one of the not cool people. You're down there. But when you get before God, all those things are going to be completely worthless. If you show up with the best clothes, and you got the great degree, and the 4.3 GPA, and the 1600 SAT, and all the promotions, and all of all the esteem of your society, Jesus is not going to care. All of that is worthless before him. Like It's like zero. It may be less than zero. But you know what does matter? If you have humility. If you have righteousness. If you have grace, forgiveness, mercy, justice, and love. If you have that, he'll be like, you're mine. Oh, wow. That's my kind of riches. That's what matters up here in heaven. So let me just close by saying this. A society that has no true humility, grace, hope, mercy, and love for the lowest, poorest, and the weakest, that's an unjust society. God's going to burn that down. Okay? Which means, of course, that means he's going to burn us down. But in this way, the gospel most certainly came to turn the world upside down. He turned the injustice of the world upside down. And so listen: any kind of Christianity that makes no difference seeking the lowliness of the upper that seeks the lowliness, where the upper classes cannot seek the lowliness, cannot have humility and courage for the lowest, that's not much of a Christianity. We are an upper class church. If we will not seek the blessings of the Elizabeths and the Marys of the lowest, we're not, a real, we're not really Christians. If that's the kind of Christianity you want to be a part of, that's a junk religion. It's not real Christianity. It's not real Christmas. But let me say it to you this way. Do you know that all these things, humility, righteousness, grace, forgiveness, mercy, we're all horribly poor in those things. We completely lack these things. We are so desperately poor that when we stand before God, we are less than Elizabeth and Mary before him. We are at the bottom, bottom. We are like scum. We are in the slums. We are beggars and losers before God when it comes to humility, justice, righteousness, and mercy. So let me close. Do you know that we are utterly desperately poor when it comes to these things that are truly rich in heaven? We are nothing. We're worse than nothing. We are less than Mary and Elizabeth in the true merits of heaven. Yet God came to be one of us. He came to be with us, to be for us to die for us, to wash us of all our worldly pride, of all our upper-class pretensions, of all our poverty of justice, mercy, and love, to lift us up even though we are damnable, condemned, and deserving of the wrath of God, to be deserving of his rejection, but instead he came to exalt these pathetically terrible human beings to be like God, to be rich in humility, gentleness, mercy, justice, and love. The God who came to be Emmanuel for us inside of this real and true justice, you know his name. His name is Jesus. This is Christmas. So let's come before him. Let's adore him. Let's lift up his justice, his righteousness, and his peace. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, a terrible and unjust people are we. And we carry on all the pride and pretentious habits of our unjust world and culture. And Lord, we don't intend to, but we do. We regularly overlook the Marys and Elizabeths of the world. In fact, sometimes even worse, we dislike them and despise them. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you looked upon our poverty, our lack, all our wretchedness, that you did not hate us, you did not reject us. You came to be with the lowly, you came to be with the wretched, you came to be one of the wretched so that you could forgive us and wash us and redeem us and put real justice and real mercy and righteousness in our hearts. Into the world. Thank you that this is Christmas. This is the gospel. We love you. We honor you. Receive this adoration, this worship now in Jesus' name. Amen.